Friends, before we begin, let's pray. Gracious and loving God, we pray that only your word be spoken, only your word heard, and only your word lived. We ask this in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Be killing sin, or it will be killing you. Uh, this quote is by uh, John Owen, and he was a famous 17th century theologian. And the deep truth of this simple statement is revealed in the story of David and Bathsheba, which we began in our Old Testament reading last Sunday and continue today. So why don't we put the story together? Last week, we uh, were told that King David was on his roof and saw a beautiful woman uh, bathing. He finds out that she's the wife of Uriah the Hittite. Then David sends for her and he sleeps with her. She becomes pregnant, all while Uriah the Hittite, a soldier, fights on the front lines of the war. Now, when David realizes Bathsheba is pregnant, he tries to cover it up. He calls back Uriah from the front lines, uh, ostensibly to get a report on the war, but really in order to get Uriah to go home, uh, to sleep with his wife, and later assume the baby is his. But Uriah doesn't go home. Actually, what he says is in 2 Samuel 11, 11, And he says, The ark in Israel and Judah remain in booths, and my lord Joab and the servants of my lord are camping in the open field. Shall I then go to my house to eat and to drink and to lie with my wife? As you live and as your soul lives, I will do no such thing. Now, because he won't go home, David feels he's forced to write a letter to Joab, the commander of the armies. And so David writes to Joab, and this is what he writes. Set Uriah in the forefront of the hardest fighting and then draw back from him so that he may be struck down and die. He plots to murder him. And so later in verse 16, it says, As Joab was besieging the city, he assigned Uriah to the place where he knew there were valiant warriors. The men of the city came out and fought with Joab, and some of the servants of David among the people fell. Uriah the Hittite was killed as well. Do you know who Uriah the Hittite was? Before David was king, he was a fugitive, an innocent man running for his life from the mad king Saul. And a group of David's friends came around David to protect him. And they were called David's mighty men. And uh, they risked their lives over and over again to keep David safe. One of these men was Uriah the Hittite. This is a man who David owes his life to. And yet we learn that David ends up coveting his wife, uh, committing adultery with his wife. Then David murders his loyal friend and tries to cover it up. David does all this. The same man who wrote incredible uh, poetry, worshiping God, you know, in the Psalms, including Psalm 40, verse 8, which says, I desire to do your will, my God. Your law is within my heart. The same person who wrote that beautiful psalm, who wrote many psalms in the Bible, did all this. 
And this teaches us something we need to take to heart, that the seeds of the most terrible evil, the willingness to commit the worst injustices in this world, live in every human heart, even the best people, even people who are following in the way of Jesus. Now, here's the thing. This insight, this reality is wildly uncomfortable. And as a modern culture, we dodge it at every opportunity we get. We're, I've noticed that we're eager to discuss uh, problems in our society as primarily or purely as systemic. If our problems are primarily or exclusively systemic, then the problem is the systems we're trapped in. You know, we, individuals like ourselves, are then victims of circumstance. But the truth is, I know my heart enough and I've known enough people and I've explored enough human history to learn that the seeds of evil are found not just in systems, but in you and in me. Sometimes they're very apparent and we have war crime tribunals, but sometimes they seem really small. But in a crucial sense, society doesn't matter because the danger in our hearts is very real. I mean, think of an acorn. You know, out of an acorn comes a tree and that tree can grow and drop many more acorns. And then there's more trees. In a sense, in a real sense, an acorn can fill the world with trees. So take a moment and look at your heart. Do you see self-pity there? Resentment and envy, jealousy, an injured ego you're nursing, or self-centeredness? Don't you know that those can become so dangerous if you water them regularly? And the fact is that many of us were tolerating them. You know, maybe we're willing to forgo personal accountability in favor of seeing problems as purely systematic. Or maybe you simply don't believe you're really capable of horrible evil. You know, you just got some small rough edges. They're little things. I mean, they, they couldn't amount to much. Do you, know, do you know why we're willing to minimize our capacity for great evil? Because despite what we say to each other, our identities are often held up by the notion that we're better than other people. We feel that we're more nuanced and that we're more complex and uh, more complex than other people. We're more enlightened. And you know what? People don't really understand us. We say this to ourselves and we believe it. And therefore, we make ourselves blind to what those seeds in our hearts can actually do. And then they sprout. And it's our fault, but we act shocked. That's why John Owen says, be killing sin or it will be killing you. An acorn is easier to squash than an oak tree, easier than a forest of oak trees. I mean, do you remember how the story of David and Bathsheba starts off? It's, it says that in the spring of the year, the time when kings go out to battle, David sent Joab with his officers and all Israel with him. David should have been with his men in the battle, but he got complacent. You know, life had been challenging for a season, but now it was getting better. And because of that, he easily became blinded to what was in his heart. 
Uh, he should have been with his men, but instead he stayed home. And there's the acorn. And then he saw Bathsheba and the acorn sprouted. And then he killed Uriah and a whole forest showed up just like that. And then in today's Old Testament reading, we see that Nathan shows up. God shows up in the words of Nathan, the prophet of God. And he shares a story of this rich man stealing the beloved lamb from a poor man. You see, the rich man, I mean, he had many sheep. He was rich. And the poor man, he only had a little lamb, which he loved like a daughter. And when the rich man had guests, instead of taking one of his many sheep, he takes the little lamb from the poor man. You know what? When King David hears this, his anger flares up at the injustice. And he says, he declares that the rich man deserves to die because he had no pity. And then the word of God comes to David when Nathan says, you are that man. And I want to tell you something really important. This is a critical moment for David, more than most he'll ever face in his life. How he reacts to this moment will determine his entire future. He is the king. He could kill Nathan for what he said. Powerful men have killed for, for way less. He could reject the narrative of sin altogether. And you know what? We could too. Instead of admitting we're sinners in need of grace, we could just uh, say that we're victims of systemic injustice, victims of circumstance, you know? Or you could, you could argue that, oh, it's my psychology. I'm not a sinner. I'm just sick. You know, other people are guilty of evil and wrong, but when it comes to me, no, I'm, I'm nuanced. I'm complex. I'm not a sinner. I'm a victim. But friends, this isn't the way to God. And I'll share with you what a better preacher once said. And I quote, The closer you get to Christ, the more sinful you're going to feel. Did you know that? That's what happened to David. When God drew near to him in the person of the prophet Nathan, God revealed the sin that he had done. And David felt the weight of his sinfulness. What was done in darkness was revealed in the light of God's word. But instead of rejecting this truth, David allowed himself to become aware of his sin. Psalm 51 we read today is David's repentance under these circumstances. He felt the guilt and shame of what he had done. And when we do the same, you know, when we refuse to raise up defensive excuses, but we simply allow ourselves to become aware of our sin and we feel guilty for that sin, this is a sign of spiritual life. And when we feel guilty and we confess our sin, God comes to us in love. Nathan says to David and God says to us, the Lord has taken away your sin. You are not going to die. And a commentator points out that there is a strong resonance between uh, 2 Samuel chapter 12 and John 19. You know, when Nathan says, of David, you are that man. And Pilate says of Jesus, behold the man. 
You see, David was called out. He was actually guilty of great sin. And Nathan the prophet, the prophet of God, shows up to point out the sin, but also to declare forgiveness. The Lord has taken away your sin. You are not going to die. And yet when Jesus stood before Pilate, no prophet came out for Jesus. His death sentence was not revoked. Jesus died on the cross for you and for me so that if we come to God in repentance and faith, we will live. My friends, it doesn't matter what you've done. What David did was as bad as it gets, and yet there's assurance of pardon and grace. I know that we can feel guilty, sometimes really guilty, but God will come into our life and set us free from our past if we confess our sins. Only God can do that. It's a gift given to us by Jesus. It's a free gift. You can't earn it. You repent and you get it. You repent in the name of Jesus and you're forgiven. As our own Book of Common Prayer says, we may depart from grace given and fall into sin, and by the grace of God we may arise again and amend our lives. And therefore they are to be condemned, which deny the place of forgiveness to such as truly repent. Grace and forgiveness are there for the taking if you turn to Jesus. Let's pray. Our gracious and loving God, we thank you that you are a God of love, that when we sin, when we make mistakes, you don't reject us, but you invite us to come to you in honesty and transparency. And as we confess our sins, you're so good that you clean us from all unrighteousness and we can have a relationship of life with you. God, help us to do just that, to come to you every day of our lives. And I pray this in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen.